Live with Kingston starts today. It starts right now. Five with Fingston, and I am excited to talk about compartmentalization today. Yep, compartmentalization. That's about as many syllables as I get uh, into any given word. Compartmentalization. Seven syllables, I think. Uh, It's a big word for me. Compartmentalization, I think, is a concept that is oftentimes um, misunderstood. And by that, I mean um, men are known to compartmentalize things and women are known to not. And so whether it's not that it's always a good thing or always a bad thing, but in society, I think that we say um, that men can compartmentalize. Oh, that's my husband. He's good at compartmentalizing Um, or in a bad way. Oh, that's my husband. He just, you know, he always compartmentalizes it. Right. So so it's either a good thing or a bad thing based on the scenario. Um, And that's just kind of how it's looked at in society. And I think there's just so much more to it and there is extreme value in being able to compartmentalize and there is extreme harm in compartmentalizing as well uh, that can come from it. So I want to uh, do a two-part series here. The first part on A, what really is compartmentalization and and what does that look like um, even biblically, right? Everything in life, we got to look back to the ultimate example. Jesus, right? Did he do this, right? Is there is there him, you know, times of of um, compartmentalizing or times of this area where we can see what Jesus did or how he handled it, right? Directly within a story or even looking, you know, at the context of how he lived because that's the first place to start, right? And so then we can then we can move out from there um, into life and how that makes sense or doesn't and so on. So anyway, I'm I'm going to cover for just a few minutes here the the bad side of compartmentalizing. But I first want to just say, um, you talk about somebody who could really compartmentalize. Um, you talk about Jesus Christ, right? Um, think about right what he was dealing with as he was growing up. Uh, he is. You know, you think about one of the first times when you hear about him really teaching, right? And and he gets, supposedly he's lost, right? Or his family has lost him. And they find him as a young, very young man, right? Really as a boy, sitting down uh, and teaching, right? Um, in and around the temple, right? Just sitting there talking with people. And... So he was not thinking about, well, I'm lost or I need to go find mom um, or anything like that. But it clearly bothered his family, right? And they were looking for him, right? And, and in his response was even, you know, who are my mothers or, or who is my mother and, and uh, brother and sister? Um, it's the people that he's, that he's with, right? So a contentedness to wherever he's at allows him to compartmentalize. Uh, he's not worried about what's going on somewhere else because he's completely content where he's at. But let me just project a little bit further, because these are five with Fingstons, not 50 with Fingstons, and want to just share about what Jesus must have been dealing with, right? We don't know exactly when it occurred to him or if or if or how he always knew that he was going to die this death on the cross, right? At what age would that occur to him, right? At what age did God, you know, kind of plant that in his mind um, as a human, right? Would, would he be aware of that? Um, but he had been persecuted and bad-mouthed and uh, ripped into, obviously for zero reason at all, um, his whole life. 
And so Jesus was constantly being um, attacked verbally and then sometimes physically, of course, too, right? Um, but Jesus was constantly being attacked, assaulted, criticized by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, anybody, right? And and so he was constantly having these intense experiences, oftentimes negative. Now, he would perform a miracle um, and he wouldn't be arrogant about that. He wouldn't be sinfully prideful um, because he was perfect, right? So he would have these intense experiences, intense as a human, right? People people attacking him, bringing him down, trying to, criticizing him, right? Saying, who are you? Um, nobody should be listening to you. You are, you know, you're a fake, you're a fraud. And, and so think about just one experience in your life where maybe somebody called you out or tried to call you out, especially in public, right? And, uh, and think about how intense that feels when somebody does that to you, right? Can you just put that one away and come back to it like, later on or just dismiss it altogether no way right and that's just one thing right it bothers us when someone um you know doesn't take their turn at the stop sign right somebody cuts out a turn at the stop sign it sticks with me for a few minutes right that they didn't say anything mean they didn't really hardly do anything wrong and that stuck with me right so how much does it stick with you when someone directly criticizes you publicly right and so jesus right, was compartmentalizing all over the place, right? Uh, and ultimately, what that comes down to is being completely at peace with who he was, right? He didn't need to prove anything to anybody to prove his innocence. He was just completely at peace with who he was. And so, when I get into bad compartmentalizing, right, what I want to talk about here for just a minute um, is when we compartmentalize, right, from a place that isn't at peace with who we are, right? And so what we're trying to do is justify an action, right? We do something wrong, some sort of, you know, issue, struggle, you know, profanity, uh, drunken outrage, whatever. Like we, we do something wrong um, and then we don't want to talk about it because we want to put it in a compartment and ignore it, right? That's unhealthy compartmentalization, right? The other unhealthy compartmentalization right, is when something nags at us, we think it through, and then we just keep letting it um, kind of fester, and it bleeds over, right, and, and we can no longer even compartmentalize it, uh, and then it starts to dominate our life. So, there's, there's two ways that I really feel like um, compartmentalization can be bad, right? It, it, it's when you can't really control it. You're trying to, but you can't, and when you're trying to compartmentalize something that is really... Um, an issue, right? Something that I've done wrong, right? I, uh, I remember when I, when I stole a peanut from a, uh, from a grocery store, right? I was trying to compartmentalize that and just kind of dismiss it. Truth of the matter was, uh, black and white, it wasn't right. Um, so you can't go compartmentalizing things that are, um, that are wrong, right? So if you can't stop thinking about something and you wish that you could compartmentalize it better and just kind of put it out of your mind, if it's something that you've done wrong, right, if you have wronged somebody, um, then you shouldn't be compartmentalizing it in the first place, right? You should only compartmentalize things that uh, are beyond your control and that really are coming from a place of health for you. So um, bad compartmentalization uh, is when things seep out and take, take over your whole life uh, or you're trying to compartmentalize something, right? Something bad happens um, and you cut the guy off like in traffic, right? You 
um, whatever, right? You flip the guy the bird, right? And you just and you just kind of um, go on and you try and you try and just ignore it, but it's there, right? I'm not saying you can track the guy down and go apologize to him, but maybe you can just say, "Hey, God, sorry, um, I messed that up. I invite you into that. Forgive me." Um, and then you can let go. Compartmentalization gets a whole lot easier when you invite God into it, right? And you're coming at it from a place of complete peace, which is what Jesus Christ did. So I'm going to follow up on good compartmentalization here um, on the next Five with Fingston. But that is Five with Fingston. Compartmentalization. Have a great day.